welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 79. How are you, Richard? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, Woo! 2016. Have you have you already started putting 2015 on accident on things that you like sign and, and date? Do you know what? I'm actually in Vancouver, Canada right now because I'm renewing my um, business visa. You have to do that every two years. And uh, I had to sign some paperwork this morning and I put 2015 on there. I always, you know, I don't really use a pen too much, so it was weird having to sign stuff. I always just remember as a kid at school, you'd, you you know, that, that'd be something you'd be doing all the time in lessons and you'd always get it wrong on your little notepads. Yeah, until like February. Yeah, you'd still be screwing up. Whereas now, like, you barely write the date anywhere by hand. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, with that single moment you do, your muscle reflex is so bad that it's like, nope, wrong, 2016. Yeah. Like I said, it'll be like uh, February or March before I finally get it right, probably, so... Oh, well. Did you have a good one? Was it a big night? You know, it wasn't too big of a night. We, uh, My wife and I, we went and just visited some friends, but it was uh, it was still fun and uh, excited to kick off the new year. Yeah, yeah I was there with uh, CJ and his wife, Vicky, uh, my fiance, Julie, and just chilling out with a nice few bottles of champagne, and um, Vicky's a great cook, so we had some really good food, and they piked, actually. They all got tired early, so we ended up um, going back to getting lift back to my house and just seeing the new year just me and julie together which was nice cool so you have any uh new year's resolutions for uh 2016 uh do you know what i i don't usually do them because i never actually follow through with them but i tend to do like work type goals in terms of looking for the year ahead which i and since i joined microsoft they tend to do those at like the financial years but um i decided to reset some of mine for the second half of 2016 and so one of them is that i really want to learn angular 2 and build a web application that uses services in office 365 and fabric and get it in the store and published and um the success criteria is me making a ton of money (laughs) that's always good which is totally legit and legal i mean it's you know you're encouraged to moonlight at microsoft so if if you're too successful though they're like uh we microsoft will like take it over and then appoint you as like the product manager over it you know that right yeah it would be nice to get to that stage but i don't think i'd want to look after one product like that in its entirety forever there's been a few like that um there's a really neat story around, I don't know if you ever played the app Wordament. Yes. Yeah, it's a really cool app. Uh, it's addictive. I used to play it and compete with, you know, because it's real time. But uh, the interesting story is that was developed internally at Microsoft, and it got so successful that they basically took those guys that moonlighted it and said, hey, we're going to form a whole team around you, and, and you that can be your full-time job. So uh, pretty cool. Maybe, uh, maybe that will be the future for your uh, career here, Jeremy. We'll see. We'll see. I'd rather earn the money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they probably did all right there too. So yeah, yeah. I would have to see. See whether they're. I'll. I'll check on campus what cars they're driving. That that's a good indication of how well they're doing. So um, how about yourself? Have you got any? You know, on the on the work side, um, I would say the two that I'm interested in is I'd I'd like to ship. Both of mine are kind of mobile app related. One is I'd really like to ship a. Office 365 related mobile app this year. And I have a couple of interesting ideas there, but um, I'd really like to get something that's in all three of the major marketplaces. So the, you know, the Google Play Store uh, and the App Store for iOS and then, you know, our store for Windows. So that's one of them. And the other one is somewhat related to that. I've, I've built on all the mobile platforms natively, but I'm a huge fan of Cordova. Uh, you've probably, if you follow my blog or some of the things that I do for like Channel 9, um, it's, I'm a big fan of Cordova. And so I'd like to build a Cordova plugin this year. So I use a lot of plugins, whether it be for camera or beacons or accelerometers or whatever, but I'd like to build one this year. You know, maybe, you know, something like voice recognition where I can kind of do my own voice recognition or something like that. Oh, okay. That'd be a bit of fun. Anything on the personal front? I'm, I've am i had a guitar that I purchased in Australia nearly 
well, that must mean it's at least seven years ago. It's a Fender Strat American. It's a beautiful guitar. Um, I spent a lot of money on it, and it's been played probably five times. I mean, it looks great in my office, but it's always annoying when people come into your home and you show them around, and they go, oh, cool, you play guitar. What can you play? And you go, well, I can just about get out Smoke on the Water and some scales and some chords. Nice. So I've um, purchased a subscription to uh, Musician, which uh, is iPad or um, Android tablet orientated, plug in the iRig adapter into the the device and then it connects into your guitar and your amp and then you kind of, a bit like a tire, it'll kind of get you up to speed on pl- playing and strumming. I'm not sure whether later on in the progression it includes notation because I used to be able to play guitar and play with notation rather than tabula. But um, I'll set a goal of tabula by the end of the year. But it would be nice as a kind of success criteria that is, let's record some new podcast theme music because I know you've got a drum kit and a guitar in your office already. So I'm sure we can... uh, get some jam going for that for sure i love it yeah that sounds awesome so by the end of the year you're either going to be a have a super successful (laughs) angular 2 application that's rolling in the money and a rock star so right um, go figure very nice very cool yeah yeah and i'll just you know my my microsoft career will just be a part-time role giving back to society you know it's funny there's such an interesting correlation between developers and musicians you know it's it's uh in fact when we do a big internal conference twice a year called tech ready in fact it's coming up here in about a month and the tech ready party the uh, the conference party is they usually take all the attendees to CenturyLink Field, uh, where the Seahawks play, and they they have like a, a sit-in band where you can just like pick up an instrument and you know kind of do I wouldn't call it karaoke, but it's like you can play along with you know the band and and you know it's always super popular. Like, there's a long line of of developers that are waiting to to sit in. So maybe that can be maybe during the summer tech ready you can have your chops up enough to where you can. We can get up on stage and <laughs> that would be cool. Do a cool song. I do remember it was Mark Rhodes and who's a SharePoint MVP based in Australia, a really good friend of mine, and Garth, who's in um, California, works for Avpoint, and they got up with a few other Avpoint guys, and then none of them had ever mentioned that they were any good. Garth actually used to be um, in a band and had a contract with Sony. And there's all some awkward photos of him with makeup on on Facebook. But they got up and had never played together and jammed to just a song they picked at random. And one of them had looked up the tabs on their phone and had memorized them quickly. And they absolutely blew everybody away. That's awesome. And I've always, you know, I always kind of get those goosebumps when you go to concerts and you think, wow, that'd be so cool to be able to do that. So, yeah, I think let's start with the record the podcast music Let's set a nice achievable goal. And then a jam session for the tech ready the following year would be awesome. Cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm game. That sounds awesome. What about you personally? Or are you just going to laser focus your work and personal life on building a mobile app? Oh, there's lots of stuff going on personally this year. But, you know, if I had to say um, a goal around that, like a New Year's resolution, I probably do it running related. I, I do a lot. I run quite a bit. And, yeah. you know, a few years ago, my goal was to run like a thousand or 2,000 miles in one year. Wow. Uh, and it, it got to be kind of more of a job. So I don't know that I'm going to do that specifically, like try to like reach a, a accumulated number, but it'll probably be something running related. I guess I should figure it out since it's like already several days into 2016. Yeah. Hey, i got a funny story for you. Okay. We uh, took it actually, and this was a New Year's resolution I'd agree with my fiance, which was we're going to do a hike a month. So we're going to make the most of Washington and the fact that there are mountains all around us and some beautiful trails. And so on Saturday, she picked one from the website. There's like a website you can go and check the trails and there's ratings and tells you how to get there and where to park and so forth. But um, what she didn't do was read any of the comments or any of the recent kind of like log entries of who's been up there and hiked it recently. Because if she had, she would have worked out very, very quickly that we would should have gone up there with walking poles. We should have been wearing studded boots at the very minimum, but more than likely should have been wearing snowshoes over the top of our boots so that we could grip onto the snow. 
and she shouldn't have let me go out the door without gloves and oh. without a woolly hat. Ouch. Because in her head, she remembered doing this in the summer, and it was only a quick 25-minute walk. Now, you couldn't do that trail in a Ferrari, an off-road Ferrari supercar, distance in a straight line in 25 minutes. It was an eight-mile hike up and down. It was beautiful, but it took, it was four and a half hours. And um, my hiking boots are designed for just kind of normal trail hiking, uh, not designed for black ice and snow. So um, I went up the mountain okay, and on the way down, I kind of went down a little bit faster and fell over and really hurt myself three times. So, oh, no. Yeah, it was a uh, bit of fun at the weekend. So that was my first New Year's resolution where I nearly killed myself, and it was only January the 4th. I don't want to hear one of these hiking stories where you get pinned by a rock and you have to, like, saw off. Eat my arm. Yeah, that's a bad film. Let's go small, maybe, like Pinky Toe or something like that, you know? <laughs> Well, I was saying to her, like I said, have you seen the film Alive? And she had, and she doesn't watch that many movies. So I was quite surprised with that. And I just said, you know, like, to be honest, there's no meat on you at all. So I kept like, as we were walking up the mountain, I'm like, yeah, that one, he'd be good. He'd give us at least five days worth of food. <laughs> and then it was like watching them with the backpacks and going, oh, I could so easily just swipe that water bottle off there and they wouldn't even notice. <laughs> so that, that was our amusement up and down as we were on the hike. I'm well, glad you guys made it safe. Yeah. Yeah, I was glad to be on um, on flat land away from the snow on Saturday night. That's for sure. So um, this week in the world of office-related stuff, what, what's been going on? Have you found any nice blog posts this week? Uh, yeah, you know, there's been a, a, a few interesting ones. One of the ones that I think is pretty neat, if, if you follow the Azure world, one of the hottest things going on in Azure right now is Docker and being able to create these little micro containers to run services and be able to scale, um, you know, nicely because of these containers. And um, so we've, we've had a, a couple people write up about this. Actually, Actually, uh, your old boss, Chris Johnson, has actually uh, done a lot of work around this. But uh, we had a, a blog post last week by um, Karthik that uh, goes through kind of the step-by-step. And he has a video as well of doing an Office 365 add-in hosted on Docker, which is, uh, to me, it's a pretty progressive uh, post for the Office 365 space. Uh, you know, normally we deal with little things like websites and maybe a SQL database and some service bus here and there. So I thought this was pretty neat. In fact, you know, Scott Guthrie is, is it seems like he loves to talk about Docker. I thought this was a really good opportunity to get him to retweet it uh, since it was, you know, kind of focused around those technologies. Yeah, but, yeah so true. Uh, it was a cool one. I mean, it's a good ecosystem partner example for Azure, right? Yeah, it's interesting. It does go to show that we do have some confusion around our terminology. Um, I did watch the video and, and well, the first thing was the terminology aspect. The comment there was, um, he's not actually building an office add-in, as in like a Word, Outlook, PowerPoint, Excel. What he's actually built is a standalone website using Node that calls the Office 365 APIs. So it would show up in your app launcher when you've when you've deployed it in your tenant. We really just call those web applications. It just so happens they use Office 365. So it's not really an add-in per se. When we talk about an add-in, we talk about Office client add-ins and um, we talk about SharePoint add-ins. But the video is great because what you can tell really what he's done is he's recorded the video um, as he's been learning about each bit, explaining the different steps like uh, what prerequisites you need to download and how you configure Docker and what components you need to be able to create and what Docker commands you need to run to kind of spin up your different containers and how you deploy the node bits in and how you then do things like the PowerShell bits for Azure AD. And um, it's really good because it's it shows his learning path through. And it's about a 40-minute video, I believe, from memory from the other day. And uh, he does a great job of kind of really giving you a good overview about those things, whereas that may have been jumping around on the web to five or six different articles to get that level of coverage of, of that end-to-end. So uh, if you are looking at Docker, that's a great little resource. I know talking about CJ and AC on the Microsoft Cloud Roadshow, they did, they did in fact actually do a podcast on this recently on uh, MicrosoftCloudRoadshow.com. Um, I believe it was the one right before Christmas. A, um, I can't find it right now. But um, if you're not listening to that show, I'd highly recommend it. They do a great job of keeping everyone up to date on the Azure Azure side of the house too. So um, 
you know, keep, keep on the, the uh, on your download list as well as ours. And then um, from another aspect here, similar kind of story is where the Azure team talk about Docker. One other thing that's going on is the guys in the Azure AD team started to talk about what we call the App Model V2 Preview. Now, the App Model V2 Preview, you may have heard us talk about a little bit as the converged auth model. The Azure AD applications, which are living inside the Azure portal, right now, when we talk about them in our context, we talk about Office 365 APIs and allocating permissions to an Azure AD application. And the way we talk about that is V1, because it only works with Office 365 services. What the app model V2 is, is an evolution of that authentication and application registration, so that not only can you have it work with a organizational account, i.e. Uh, Office 365 account, but you can also have it work against your personal account too, so your Microsoft account. So you might have an Outlook.com account or maybe your old school and you've got an MSN.com account. And essentially what that means is, is that if you've got one drive in your kind of personal world or you've got one drive for business in your work world, the graph.microsoft.com will work via this app model v2 auth flow and call that graph uh, with either or. And so you only have to learn one API shape, you know, me whack drive works, whether I'm on OneDrive or it works on OneDrive for business. But you have to use app model v2 to do that. And that's currently in preview. And the Azure AD team are doing a good job right now of kind of blogging about what how to use that with the the new application registration portal, so apps.dev.microsoft.com, to go and register that. One of the biggest changes with this is that uh, whereas in the app model v1 with Office 365, uh, you had to essentially, when you registered your application in the in the management portal, check which permissions you needed. Now what you do is you define these scopes via REST calls dynamically in code. So it's a little bit different when you do this incremental and dynamic consent so that you only request the permissions as and when you need them rather than when you do it in the V1 app model where you had to kind of request them all up and then if you wanted to change it, you had to go and edit your registration of your application. Now in code, it only requests things as and when you need it. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility. I've uh, not played with this much yet, uh, Rich. I've been so busy on Currently, I'm updating all of our existing training content, of which is focusing on really stuff that's genuinely available. Have you had a play much with that model V2? Yeah, I have, a, I have like two or three blog posts about it. Um, so I, I did a, a post back, oh gosh, right when they announced this that shows kind of the raw flow of it. So there's that, that's one big change is that you pass scopes in to get your token instead of a resource. The other one is things like um, a refresh token. That's kind of your long your way to get long term access to data, those aren't automatic in this V2 model. And so I, I got a good post that kind of walks through the major differences between the two. And then I also built, a, uh, I'm trying to remember what, I think it was a, I'm trying to remember what technology I wrote it in, a sample application that used some of the Outlook services um, and Exchange, Exchange Online APIs. But yeah, I think it's, to me, it's, it addresses a lot of the, um, some of the pain points that we've had with kind of that V1 model. And um, it's definitely the direction we're going. And uh, so definitely check it out. Yeah, and, and Danny Strokis is um, definitely a guy to watch. Uh, I think I've, we've mentioned on the show before at the MVP Summit, he did an amazing presentation on Azure AD, working for Torio's team, who you probably heard of. If you're listening to his show, he's very strong in the Azure AD space for a long time. Um, so we're following Danny on Twitter and checking out the content that he's creating as he's kind of helping build that stuff out with Vittorio and Stuart uh, Kwan and um, Dan Kershaw as well and the engineering teams around that space. So um, what else have you seen this week? Well, um, you know, in part three of his series, um, we've had Stephen Curran that uh, put together kind of the what's new with the SharePoint 2016 remote APIs this is part three. And he addresses files here and, and some of the unique updates. So again, this is, you know, taking SharePoint 2016 and um, incorporating some of the things that we've already introduced into 
uh, SharePoint Online and, and seeing how those APIs, those remote APIs, uh, look like in, in SharePoint 2016. So I know we talked about this last week when we talked about his part two. It seems, and also based on some of the polls we did last week, that the the SharePoint community is still, you know, in super high demand and, and in full force. And and uh, a good portion of those are still dealing with, you know, deployments that are on-premises. So this is a really good post to yeah. the details, you know, kind of he went through Reflector and, and looked at all the interesting things that are in those APIs. Yeah, the post is interesting because he goes on to highlight all these new information rights management settings that are suddenly starting to appear and how there's this kind of like uh, ability to upload files in fragments via REST calls, uh, which weren't there before, and some other files additions in there as well. So you should definitely go and check out that post by uh, Steve. It's uh, good that he's sharing that on that kind of granular the basis as well. And then another one SharePoint-related Mark Anderson, who we've we talked about a lot in this show, who focuses a lot on kind of client-side SharePoint development, not necessarily in Visual Studio, but more along the lines of kind of modifying existing SharePoint pages by way of injecting SharePoint, either using SharePoint Designer or directly in the web browser. And he's had a a framework, I guess, a JavaScript framework library that has been sitting on Coplex for a long time. And every version he ships, which is pretty amazing when you click through the version history in Coplex, he's getting about 30,000 downloads of this library, the, the series of libraries that essentially provide a few things. One, they wrap a lot of the existing ASMX traditional web services that have been around since the 2003 days, 2007 days. It's a long time now. I can't remember exactly but also wrap some of the core SharePoint REST API calls. But then he has other things, not just wrappers for APIs, but things that uh, manipulate the SharePoint UI itself. So for instance, uh, the library is very famous for doing things like drop-down menus that can have a parent-child relationship so that when you change one drop-down, it automatically goes and filters the the child one, which is not something you can do out of the box natively in the settings of a a list view in SharePoint. Or being able to find a particular component control on the page uh, without having to know all the caveats of what that control's div name is. It does it all dynamically on the fly and kind of wraps that for you. So there's a bunch of stuff that he does here, and um, interestingly, this post is just announcing a V2 pre, pre-alpha build, um, which is actually now running on GitHub, and he's encouraging people to submit GitHub issues now, uh, moving off of Coplex. Um, he's doing some unit testing now using QUnits, which is new to him, which is uh, be interesting to see what his thoughts are as he's going through all that. And um, getting a lot of feedback from people like, um, Paul Taveras, who's helped him with the GitHub staff. So it's nice to see the community kind of get engaged and, and keep help growing that framework. And clearly there's a, a lot of demand there for this in the community with 30,000 downloads of these things. And it works across all those versions, those major versions of SharePoint too. So it, it's really impressive that Mark's kind of persisted and kept that going. I think a lot of it is because the work that he does, he he he's been building this over time, but by open sourcing the community and getting community contributions, not only does it test and validate it, but he's also taken on a lot of the contributions from the community as well. So um, if you've not used SP services before and you're in, you know, SharePoint 2007, 2010, 2013, uh, you, you, there is a lot of, you know, extensions out there that will really help you to be more productive as a developer. And I think this is probably the best one out there in that sense in, in from the community. So um, it's good to see him moving over to GitHub. I, we've definitely seen a lot of improvements in our community contributions moving off of Coplex to GitHub where people are more familiar. Although I have had a lousy week um, with actually with Todd, Todd Beginsky getting my head around GitHub pull requests and merging from upstream and all sorts of stuff. Um, last Friday, I really needed a drink after about three hours with Todd. We, we both got our repos in a really weird state and we didn't want to lose our work and uh, had to patiently work through it without breaking things. So um, GitHub can be a pain sometimes. We know that for sure. But I think if you're in this industry, you have to invest the time to, to get it right. What it was is we actually used a user interface to try and make things easier for us but i think in all honesty the command line is the only way to go with git it just it's just 
the, the UI just doesn't work in the same way as GitHub does under the covers and you end up getting this horrible mess. I've, I've been there. In fact, I have a, I'll have to share it with you, maybe even share it with all our listeners too. I have a, a OneNote page that's like my cheat sheet uh, for a command line. Yeah. It like lists like almost any scenario you'd ever want to do and and then shows you how to do it. I always have to re-reference that. You know, if it's, you know, doing simple things like get ads and commits and things like that, that's one thing. But once you start getting into doing a, a merge, especially on something that has so many worldwide viewers of it gets a little bit scary uh yeah i mean there's a lot of forks and there's a lot of downloads of that that github.office.office.dev slash training content repo where all of our step-by-step hands-on labs are and slide decks that you know everyone uses the cloud roadshows and at local events and then obviously all the the uh lab starter um, projects and completed demo projects and so forth. So, yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking last week getting through that. But um, I think in the long run, uh, having that amount of openness and, you know, I share my training content repo uh, roadmap on there so you can see what updates we've got coming, it definitely makes for a better place than we were three years ago where no one knew where any of the slide decks were and... Um, we didn't know what was the most up to date. Even internally, it was a mess. So we're in a better state than we were for sure um, since kind of moving that all into GitHub. Cool. One other one that I had, it's not really anything new, but it, it helps me kind of plug a, a thought here is um, uh, Mikael Svensson, who uh, is one of the common names you'll hear around here. He's, he's you know, does a lot of posts around Office 365 development. He did a Office 365 Dev Challenges. It was like a big eight-part series recently. He just did a post that kind of summarized all the different posts that he had done throughout the year. And the only reason I bring this up is is really twofold. One is if if you are you know blogging and and com, you know contributing things to the community and we don't know about you, definitely let us know. Reach out to Jeremy. Reach out to me, and and we'll make sure that you're highlighted on these weekly updates. And you know this you know this is a good example of someone that is you know really active in the community, and we're always happy to you know push people to see some of the things they've been working on. Yeah, and um, I can say this because I used to be one. And it's ironic for me to say this, but the MVPs are never shy to say when they get renewed for another year um, via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, they tattoo it on their forehead and they blog about it sometimes too. So I, I, I jest. It, it was great to see. And obviously I knew beforehand because we get the reports through that, you know, a lot of the guys we mention week in, week out on this podcast and put in the weekly updates and the monthly updates all got renewed this time around yep. for all their contributions via blogs and speaking at conferences and running pod shows and sharing code samples and all sorts of good stuff. So a big, big kind of thank you for everyone in that MVP community, but also broader as well. Like there's some really good people out there that aren't MVPs and in some cases quite surprised that they didn't want to elect to be one, but really do share a lot of their work and um, give feedback or ask questions that then encourage us to go away and build more content. So, you know, a big thank you to the community in general, but also a big congratulations to those that did get renewed for yet another year in the MVP program too. Cool. Well, with that, we'll lead into another make-believe advert, and then we'll jump straight into the interview with Daniel. The Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch Keyboard. The only keyboard with unique keys for each of the 120,000 unique Unicode characters. That's right, who needs a shift key when the Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch keyboard has unique keys for just about everything? When we designed the Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch keyboard, we spent thousands of hours studying stenographers. Ultimately, we came to the conclusion that they are aliens and more keys are better than fewer keys. The Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch keyboard can help achieve new levels of productivity. It took me two weeks to find the curly bracket keys, but when I did, I've never coded so fast in my life. Thanks, Microsoft. With backlit keys and built-in Cortana support, locating a key is simple and familiar. Hey, Cortana, light up the T key. I don't understand. Are you asking me to light a tiki torch? No, the T 
key. Say goodbye to carpal tunnel syndrome because with 120,000 unique keys, your hands will never sit still. The first day I used my Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch keyboard, my fitness band said I took over 16,000 steps, and yet I never left my seat. So get the Microsoft Unicode ErgoTouch keyboard today and revolutionize the way you type. Where's the freaking T key? Like T as in Tesla. The Microsoft Unicode Ergo Touch Keyboard is not compatible with Windows XP, Windows Vista, or Windows 7. In clinical tests, it was found to cause hypertension and anxiety. Do not use the Microsoft Unicode Ergo Touch Keyboard if you are pregnant or nursing. If you start to develop headaches or a rash, immediately discontinue the use of the Microsoft Unicode Ergo Touch Keyboard. Okay, so I'm uh, sitting in a hotel room in Vancouver right now, and uh, I've got uh, Daniel Canning on the uh, call. So uh, welcome for joining me on Skype. Yeah, good to be here. And uh, so, Daniel, we, we've worked a lot in the last, uh, I guess, year, really, since we both kind of bumped paths, as typically happens at Microsoft when we're working on kind of mutual things. What, what have you been working on recently, and uh, how long have you been at Microsoft for? I've been at Microsoft for about three and a half years now. Um, I work in our legal department which is a pretty good-sized organization. Uh, the legal department at Microsoft also services what our, our corporate outreach um, work as well and, and philanthropy work as well as a corporation. We have about 1,500 employees within our, our legal department um, servicing 52 countries. So it's a pretty broad organization that has uh, charters not only support our, our business, but a lot of our corporate outreach work. Uh, inside that role, I'm a, I'm a technical program manager, meaning that I deliver technology solutions that are sponsored by our legal department that support not only the enterprise and the department, but also um, we try to share that work with, with our other colleagues uh, across the industry. So I'm, I'm a technical program manager within our legal department, have a lot of experience doing uh, enterprise content management solutions and productivity solutions, and uh, it's an exciting place to to deploy those. And and so typically you're building those on top of the services that are available to you via our own internal uh, platforms that we we host for the company. That's exactly right. And so, you know, the the business problems that we are trying to solve uh, within our enterprise are ones that the same ones that our customers have. And so, with that though, we are always trying to have them adopt the latest and greatest of our services. Yeah. So that that's Office 365, and that's everything that encompasses, right? That's and then that's doing extensibility off of our services for their specific workloads and trying to make them as productive as possible using our latest and greatest. So that's exactly our charter. Yeah. Okay. And um, from that aspect, uh, you know, what groups do you have developers and engineering teams that kind of live inside your world or uh, do you outsource that work externally at Microsoft? Like, what's your relationship in actually building those things out? That's a great question. So we actually do a, basically a hybrid model. So there is work that we do where maybe sometimes it's based on capacity planning needs. Maybe sometimes it's really based on uh, certain skill sets that we, we outsource and pull in developers to work on specific projects for us. And then we also have partners in our central IT organization that also have engineering resources. Amitab is a, a perfect example of that, of someone that we work with and we, we pull into make sure we can operationalize anything that, that we build. So sometimes... Like you can imagine, we do early proof of concepts and those types of work where we may pull in um, some outsourced resources uh, to, to give us a leg up. And then as we move into more operationalizing it, we, we partner up with our, our traditional IT teams to, to move those things to production. But, you know, it is a kind of a hybrid world where, you know, we, we look at our IT engineering resources really as, as partners in this, as they also have the same missions. And so it really, I think it's a hybrid with obviously over the long term things being a partner with our IT organization. Yeah, okay. And and so I guess that level of loop back early on before things get shipped means that the engineering teams can learn and, and obviously share things that they might not be able to share for legal reasons or maybe patent reasons early in the in the cycles that they can do with, with your team. And so, from that that aspect, Daniel, what, what what have you been working on recently? I know there was a blog post out that came out just before the holiday period around the Matters Center. Is this a an example of uh, like a, a partnership that you guys have had together to build something uh, internally? No, that's exactly right. So, as we had up in the blog post around Matter Center, it's an example of a productivity solution that we've started internally for our own legal department, where 
we have a couple of items that we look at for charters. So it, it definitely starts with that type of framework. We want to have our attorneys do, do a couple of different things. One is be able to leverage the services that they're familiar with, but have them stapled together in a way that really maps to their daily workload. There's kind of an old you know, joke that I always say with dealing with legal professionals, and that is, what is the most highly adopted, I don't mean deployed, but what's the most highly adopted you know, legal document management system in the world? And uh, you know, normally people throw out different names of, of you know, ISV products in the space. But the answer really is it's normally sent items, right? I mean, um, <laughs> working professionals, information workers, as we sometimes call them at Microsoft, spend most of their time in Outlook. And in the case of attorneys, spend most of their time in Word. So they spend most of their time in Outlook and Word. And so if you're going to give them a tool to make them more productive and ensure that we're storing you know, the, the work product that they're doing that's easily discoverable, that it can be it can be collaborated on with other other teams, even outside of Microsoft. You know, a lot of these attorneys actually are dealing with outsourced arrangements with other legal professionals and they have to share this work back and forth. It needs to be collaborated on, it needs to be stored, it needs to be searchable, it needs to be secure. All the kind of standard workloads, we need to be able to, to have good ways for them to do that, but have them do that also in a way where it's going to be adopted, right? Um, and so for those adoption, it's, it's how can we keep them productive inside those tools? So the natural way for us to look at that was office add-ins and office extensibility, um, where we can try to keep these users in the tools they're familiar with and where they spend all their time in Outlook and in Word to be able to save, collaborate on their content. Because, you know, the, the classic use cases, yes, they can be using... As you can imagine, we have wide uh, deployment and even adoption of Office 365 team sites within a department. But inevitably, you know, you're looking for a piece of work you've done in the past or a project you're on. And, you know, what are you doing? You're searching your inbox. You're searching your sent items. You can't remember what was that team site. And you end up IMing somebody, hey, give me the name of that team site where that document library is where I can go find that content. We try to pull those scenarios back to where people can quickly find um, you know, they're templated team sites for projects that they're working on without them having to search all over the place, but really be productive with the work that they're doing within our services. So the idea behind Matter Center was really stapling together our core services. So Matter Center, you know, it's 95% of it is Office 365, right? It's OneDrive for business. It's SharePoint Online. It's, you know, it's add-ins. It's OneNote, which also has huge popularity within the legal with legal professionals generally. But it's how can we pull all those things together for some specific uh, workloads, and that's what we've done, and that's what we're deploying across our department. Right, and then and so that's something that you've done. Did you start that off with particular teams piloting it, and then just kind of grow it from maybe your corp legal across other areas across the regions, or how did you kind of grow that as a solution internally? Yeah, that's a good question. The the structure of our legal department is uh, would be akin to many other uh, corporations of our sizes, where it, it's split up amongst practice groups. So you have, you know, groups that practice IP law, or groups that practice HR law, or do our litigation, or mergers and acquisitions, or just straight transactional work, contracting kind of work. And so it's really the key is we've we've started with teams who want to be those, those early adopters and have those problems. We, you know, we pitch that vision to them. They, they jump on it. And then we start with specific small teams, start working those deployments, and then it's it just kind of grown out from there. So the idea is really to get a group of initial teams that are using it so you can start that real feedback loop that we all know that really occurs when users are, are actually using it kind of way beyond what someone just sees, sees in UAT and start that feedback loop, get adoption going from there. And then I think it's a great question you ask, which is really the, I found the most successful adoption traits for internal applications are, are ones where you can get that grassroots adoption. I mean, I think there's always a way to think about, you know, mandated solutions that go top down versus kind of bottom up. But I think in today's world of, of services um, that are available to users, the more you can start bottom-up adoption, it just becomes a lot more sticky. If you can have 
end users be your advocates and tell their own colleagues about, you know, how this makes their life more productive, uh, how these features make, you know, their lives better, uh, kind of in quotes. So I think that's, that's the way to, to look at adoption is from productivity solutions, especially with attorneys, because there's, you know, a lot of them, you know, based on what kind of generation they are of a worker have, have set, you know, ways they do their work. And so if you're not, if you're not providing that value at the grassroots, you don't. You're not going to get adoption. You could have a yeah. solution out there, but are people using it? You know. Well, it's it's probably definitely too broad strokes or general to say that they're all like this. But uh, it's amazing how many you see that just permanently work via email. And what what always makes me laugh is they print the damn things out and they start annotating on printouts of emails and then they go and reply to them later on. That's yeah, that's not unheard of. I've, yeah, we see that. That's correct. And so introducing any kind of technology where you're encouraging them to be in a web browser, to be using documents in in Word, co-authoring, living in OneDrive, and having things flowing from Outlook via add-ins directly into SharePoint is um, definitely changing the way these guys work on a day-to-day basis. And I think the last part you mentioned is where we have is is part of kind of our charter of what we try to hit because if that's where the add-ins come in yeah. because if we can keep them productive and doing those types of things without having to necessarily go out navigate through a browser to get to a site to save you get a lot higher adoption if you can have imagine them just being able to do that without leaving Outlook right or without leaving Word they can go find and save a document right out to their SharePoint team site that's where we start to get the wins. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you certainly from a matter center perspective, you know, it, you, you guys are one of the poster childs that we use in terms of really proving the vision of Office extensibility in the sense that that is exactly what we say about Office web add-ins and the fact that, you know, let's keep those users productive in the products that they live in day in, day out, whether it's Outlook or whether it's Word or Excel or maybe even PowerPoint and allow them to kind of integrate with other services without might not even necessarily knowing that that matter center is hooked up into Exchange Online APIs living on the graph and OneNote APIs and OneDrive APIs. Yeah, I mean, and the way you can see it extending out in the future is one of, you know, and they're not there yet for adoption, but I think they can see the picture of it. You can see, okay, well, then also, you know, expose that to them out through Dell, right, out through the other services that will just become part of the platform. And that's another one of, you know, the guardrails we use on this is is building it in a way so that as new services come out through Office 365, those can also just be taken advantage of the same way. And And another one, I think, just to kind of, you know, go off of that same mode for how they work is, you know, they all in today's world, all legal professionals, I'd probably say all, you know, information workers generally have a need for how are they collaborating with the, that content and how are they collaborating with that content with people outside of their organization, even outside of, you know, their aid, their, their standard corporate AD, how are they, how are they communicating with vendors um, and other teams on that? And that's the other thing we, we try to look to solve. You know, if you if you got a group of legal professionals together and asked them what are some of the core problems that they or or what is what is it that they want for content discovery, they always come back to more or less two themes. One, they need to find content that's relevant to what they're working on. And so relevance becomes super important. Two is they need to be able to find it quickly. And then three, how is it they, they can they can sh- they can share that easily? Because they end up spending an inordinate amount of time, you know, working on on versioning and and version uh, editing, and is this you know final underscore final really my last document? And it's it's so it's it's really trying to solve some of those common cases of collaboration, versioning, and and context, which becomes really important to them. And I think those themes, though here we're talking about legal professionals, I don't think we have to squint too hard to see how those would apply to any any other type of. Uh, professional. Right. And th- and there was, I mean, we demonstrated this. Uh, I had done, uh, been asked to demonstrate on stage in the keynote back at TechEd Europe in October of 2014. And there was an element of pressure for your team to actually make this product per se that you were using internally Microsoft available to customers. And, and that's something that you did in, in the last year, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so at the end of last year, we, we took the solution as we have it right now, and and have, have published it up to GitHub. So it's a, it's in a GitHub project that anyone can can look up and and join. And and we encourage people to you know to become part of that community. 
because we have tried to um, expose this work that we've been the the project that we've been working on out through others others in in the industry and show them that uh, you can use Office 365 as a core piece of of workload for both law firms and law departments and show them how we are doing this. Uh, and so there has been a lot of interest and we've we've done a lot of showcases of it both at conferences and also just in other other venues within the uh, within the legal industry to show not only law departments law firms how you can use it but also you'll know, try to do the same thing with with partners in the space meaning both system integrators but also ISVs traditional software companies showing them what can be done with the add-in model and what how they can look to have their products you know integrate with Office 365 but also Matter Center because it is open and because we're using you know the public APIs behind Office 365 is a kind of solution that you know they can pick up follow that same type of model in their own either services practices or even in their own on their own product uh, planning as well so yeah so we we encourage people to get involved with this project we're uh, we're involved with it it's out there now really as just as a, a couple of weeks ago um, as the the announcement came out at the end of December and we're excited to have that um, that project out there and in that sense uh, you know it's not just customers that can go and grab that SI service integrators could take that and start deploying that to customers as well as a service. Is that kind of one of the intents here? I think so, but maybe a little, you know, kind of in, in a loose fashion, yes. We know that, or, or I should say even not that we know, we don't have an intent that it is, you know, a, a product, right? It's not a skewed product. It's not developed by an engineering team, you know, that, that you work directly on and with Jeremy. It's, you know, something that's come out of our legal department. And so we know that it it's not going to compare fully feature to somebody's full product, but, but we're okay with that because we're not pretending it's a product, right? We're showing that, hey, this is how we're using this app and these add-ins within our legal team yeah. and encourage people to follow that same model. You can pick this up as a system integrator. You can add your own uh, variations to it, work on it directly with customers because because we have open licensed it right through the MIT license, you know, with some requirements for attribution uh, and really wanting people to participate in the community. You know, an SI can pick this up and go run and, and build a business around it if they wanted. An SI could pick it up and look at it for a model for how they they integrate add-ins into their own product roadmap because we've given the full bits out there. And we'll continue to, you know, put investment into this because, you know, our, our legal department at Microsoft isn't going anywhere. And so we'll continue to do work. We have, as you can imagine, a backlog of work we need to do satisfy even internally. And so as we do that, we look to continue to to contribute it as well. And, you know, and, and kind of just go into then the bullet point of, you know, it doesn't, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a roadmap thing. It's something we have to uh, move forward with. That's why we also look to line of business partners we've 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 you know even announced some people that are doing work to integrate their own line of business applications into it because really you know it's an office 365 integration uh, because that's that's the core of what behind the product is so i think it has a good momentum from from that perspective as well yeah i think that's the key is is that you know under the hood if we're using all the building blocks of onedrive and sharepoint and so for the exchange and so forth without the users necessarily even need to know that they and it, there's no reason for them to know that if we're providing this kind of ui that they're used to and familiar with it's just branded as that matter center concept which they're used to from a legal um, perspective i think the benefit there is is that all of the legal and compliance aspects that Office 365 has, you're going to benefit from. Um, and obviously, this thing being legal means that, you know, Daniel, I'm, I'm assuming you've been through all the hoops of uh, the fact that these guys are happy with the compliance that Office 365 has and MSIT has for storing all those data in these various different kind of building blocks in the in the services. Yeah, it is. And it, it may seem funny to, to, to think that, but we, you know, even within our own Legal department and and Amitabh knows this even within kind of just IT of Microsoft we go through those same requirements checking and the same validation for how we use our sensitive data and how it's bought off through our services like like anyone else's so it, it has gone through that same process of 
of us being happy with the compliance of our own services and, and how they handle our sensitive data. That's awesome. And so, Daniel, um, how do they get started with this? Where would be the right place for them to go to kind of find out about Matasider and get, give it a test run? So just under up at GitHub under Microsoft, our project is just called Matter Center, uh, and you can just get directly to to that URL going to uh, to GitHub, Microsoft, and Matter Center, and you'll find our you'll find our project right there. Yeah, and I'll make sure that's all in the show notes as well. And yeah, so the you know the exact the exact URL you to go is just to GitHub whack Microsoft whack Matter Center. And for those that are kind of from the other side of the pond, like myself, who always get center spelt wrong, it's T E R, not T R E. Fair. <laughs> Um, and um, are you guys on the, any social channels? Is there anywhere we can follow you on blogs or Twitter or LinkedIn and so forth? Is there any places I can promote you guys for outreach? I think we can we can ensure we have some channels posted up for you. Yeah. Just so you can obviously you can you can follow you can find myself on LinkedIn and send me direct questions about uh, about projects we're working on uh, on LinkedIn. But we'll also post up some some channels you guys can just communicate back with us as well. Yeah. Of course, there's places to do comments and stuff up on the project. But, you know, we have other things that we don't look at, at Matter Center as being uh, kind of the end of these type of examples that we publish out. And we don't look at this as kind of, uh, although Matter Center, of course, as it is, will have uh, continued iteration and in investment as we just described. But there's other things that we work on that, you know, we, we look at this being a journey to be able to also share those out with just our developer community and, and people are trying to solve similar problems so they can see how, how we're doing that work uh, with this same model. That's awesome. Well, um, it sounds like we'll have to get you back as you when you kind of release those other additional areas uh, as you move forward this year in 2016. Exactly. Happy to do that. Sweet. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you guys' time. I know we've only all just kind of shot back in the office this week, but um, it's great to get you um, as our first podcast of 2016. So I'm yeah. Hopefully, it starts off strong. Some good ratings, right? Yeah, some strong New Year's resolution traffic of people. I must watch that show by Richard and Jeremy. <laughs> I'm sure that's the first thing they're thinking. But hopefully, yeah. we, can, we can check that off their list. Yeah, I'm gonna have all these new legal followers on Twitter now as well. Thanks, guys. You got it. <laughs> all right. Well, have a great week and a good start off to January and. Um, thanks again guys happy to be here thank you thanks for listening guys and girls make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources you can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one year three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform we're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 dev podcast jam or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook so until next week guys get coding Thank you.